0: This fell out of from heaven, I guess. <laughs> That's water. Um, one of my greatest joys is to walk alongside men who are aspiring to be pastors and who are already pastoring churches who have not been trained and to train them and to encourage them in the word and to enable them to be better equipped to be able to lead their churches. And with, because of that, God has given many opportunities for me to visit different parts of my country and train men and get involved with their lives and to be mentoring them and tr- and encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. And for one such workshop or seminar, I was in one of our northernmost states in my country. And in that place was the first time that I'd been there and I got off the plane, I got into the taxi with this uh, the student of mine, and I asked him, OK, now we're going to train the men. Where are we going? Let's, let's get there. And he said, uh, I'll wait till you get to the hotel, and I'll tell you. So we got to the hotel, and, and again, I asked him the same. OK, I'm excited. Let's do this. We've, we're here to teach. Uh, let's get on with it. So he closes the door, and he closes the windows, and, and the curtains, and the blinds, and then we go into the innermost part of the hotel. And he whispers in my ears. And I was wondering, what, what is, where am I? What is happening? All throughout our time from the airport, we saw armored vehicles and tanks at every 200 yards. And I knew that this state is troubled and has been for many years. But I didn't realize what the situation there was until I got there. Because the news we get is very different from the reality on the ground. And then when we started to talk, he said, brother, you don't understand. We cannot hold meetings like you do in your part of the country or in other parts of the world. We cannot even meet one another as believers in Christ. And I asked, why is that so? He said, for the last 10 years, any brother or sister that has come to know the Lord has been martyred in my state. So, so much so, we don't, we don't even tell the other believer that we, we love Jesus. I said, then what about church? He says, we have no churches. Our church is, the pastor comes to our home, he visits with the family, he shares the word with us, and then he, he goes on to another family. It's not on a Sunday, it's not on a Friday, it's just every day with each family, one after the other, every single day, whenever he is able to come to their house. That's church. So I said, what about our meeting? Where are the men? He says, there are no men. This is us, just the two of us. They won't, it won't be possible to meet like you thought it would be. So we spent the next two days just teaching these two men and and as much as we could in the 48 hours, and then we left. And on the flight, I was thinking, I was trying to process all that I'd heard and seen and being able to uh, see with my own eyes and to feel what the situation there was and Two thoughts came into my mind. And the first is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I have still the freedom to be able to worship. And the way that we do, we can sing such beautiful hymns. And, and to be able to share and to be able to fellowship and to be able to come together on one, part, one day of the week. And to be able to fellowship with one another and encourage each other. We know that we can't take this for granted. There may come a time that this might not be the situation. But thank you, Lord, for giving us that. But the other thought that I had was, how? How can the gospel spread in a situation like this? Now, none of us probably had a thought in our minds before coming to the service that, that we have any risk to our lives, except for when we were driving the cars on the road, (laughs) right? None of us think about this as a, we need to be bold to get to church. We get to get to church. We, We get the opportunity to be able to do that. But how will the gospel spread in a situation when things are difficult? Or what, what if we are faced with danger, but we don't take the risk to, to be bold enough to take that gospel? And that happens with us all the time, right? We have opportunities, but we have thoughts in our mind. If I take this opportunity, I probably will be canceled or unfollowed or unfriended or deleted or will lose my face or my place in the family birthday party. That's the thought that comes to our mind. When I look at Paul and I look at this passage that we just read and I see a man who in the midst of conflict as he says in verse 2 but already having suffered and shamefully treated at Philippi he says as you know we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel. Now this passage this text really is about Paul defending himself or his coming to the Thessalonians with the gospel, because he had planted this church three weeks, three Sabbaths. He was there, and then after that, there was uh, there was a, a ruckus in the city, and he had to be sent out because Jason was arrested, and the brothers said, "Brothers, you leave." And then they went to Berea. But by the time he writes this, he's sitting in Corinth. Timothy has come back with the news about what the church is doing and how the church is. And Paul spends a full chapter, chapter 1, describing why he is grateful for the Thessalonians. Because of their faithfulness to the Lord and the word of God that has come into their lives. And they have turned, verse 9, from God, I mean, to God, from idols to serve the living and true God. And after that, he says... I know that you guys think that I had wrong motives for coming to you, which is why he's giving a defense for his own coming. And he says, starts this chapter with, for you yourselves know, and we can see this refrain throughout the book of Thessalonians, where he starts from the known and then gets to the unknown. And I think that's a, that's a great way, if you're trying to defend something that you have done is right, go from the unknown to, I'm sorry, go from the known To the unknown. So he says, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Really, before that, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he has said, Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, with full confidence. That's how the preaching of God. It is not the confidence that the, the Thessalonians had, but it's the confidence with, with, with which the preachers, which is Paul and Silas, who came with that conviction in the truth. So that's why he writes in chapter 2: you yourselves know that our coming to you was not in vain, it was not empty, it was not fruitless. Because you received the word of God in much affliction, verse 6, chapter 1. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So it did take effect. Our coming to you actually was fruitful. So the first defense he's giving in, in to the Thessalonians is saying, look, if our if our motives were wrong... We would not have seen fruit. But what we did was we presented to you with the truth that we know and that truth is what caused that change and the transformation in your lives. So look at that evidence. And it's because of that, our motives, it proves that our motives were true and right. He says, but we, but though we, verse 2, chapter 2, had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we had boldness in our God. That's the main clause. We had boldness in our God, even though we had suffered. You know, I am personally very grateful to Paul for that boldness in Thessalonica. You might wonder why. Why are you personally grateful? Well, my mother-in-law is from a small town near Thessalonica. And she loves the Lord. And she is a powerful evangelist. And my wife, who is, you know, all that the Lord, uh, through Paul, brought the gospel to Thessalonica and through generations to my mother-in-law and to my wife. And I'm a beneficiary of that. So I am grateful for the boldness that Paul had in Thessalonica, personally. Because he says, even though we had suffered, we had just come away from Philippi. And we know what had happened in Philippi, right? He had gone there. He made, met uh, Lydia by the, by the river. And that was his, his way in a place where there was no synagogue. He would go by the river and preach the gospel and speak to the women. And Lydia was one of the first believers. And then there was the slave girl who became a believer who was exorcised. And, and then there was a ruckus, a riot. They were beaten up and then put into jail and the Philippian jailer and the household were who believed and were baptized and then the brothers sent them out and then they came to Thessalonica so he says even though we had that situation and even though we suffered and were shamefully treated we had boldness now if it was me I would have said guys you know what We've just come from jail. We've just been released. We've just been saved by the skin of our teeth. Let's be wise, right? We say that. We use that word a lot, right? Let's be wise and not. let's not repeat what just happened. This is Greece. Let's enjoy the beach. It's Thessalonica. It's a great, great part of the world. Let's take it easy here. But no. We had boldness not to enjoy the life that we were wanting to live, but uh, but we had boldness in our God to declare, to speak, to proclaim, to herald the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And they again found the conflict. So the question we come back to is, what gives Paul the ability, what motivates Paul to have boldness? How can we be motivated, like Paul, to have boldness in the midst of difficulty? Whether there is conflict, whether there is persecution, whether there is opposition or not. How can we be emboldened to share the gospel? How can we be able to uh, be motivated to take the risk, the necessary risk that it does take, that it does have, to share the gospel The share the truth that we know. You know, have you ever wondered about that? I have. Well, I want to present to you three truths from the Bible, from this text, that will hopefully motivate us, will enable us, Lord willing, to take those risks. At a time when we say, Oh, I think it's too risky. It doesn't seem like it's wise. And my fear is that we have hidden, we have started to hide again. Behind the garb of wisdom and calling it too risky and not being emboldened enough to share the gospel at times when we should have. You know, we could tell Paul, Paul, too risky. You saw what happened in Philippi. Do you want the same thing to happen in Thessalonica? And Paul says, yes, I know it's risky. But our boldness does not reside only on our situation. A boldness resides and comes from, is motivated from. The first first truth is that God is sovereign. You'll say, I know, I know God is sovereign. We know the sovereignty of God. We are a Reformed church and we love the sovereignty of God. We love that doctrine. But he's not just sovereign into things that happen in your life and you you accept it from the Lord and say that, yes, the Lord has allowed this in my life. But his sovereign also In the fact that whatever happens, if I take that risk, God is sovereign even over that. Whatever happens to me, my Father allows. You know, we sang that hymn, that He watches from heaven above. How deep the Father's love. Do we trust in that sovereignty? That is the question we're going to look at today. So he says, verse 2, as you know, we had boldness. Literally, that word for boldness is dare, to dare, dare to share, dare to declare the gospel of God. It, it, it is inherent with the idea of taking a risk. You know, the, the kids sometimes play truth or dare. I don't advise it. But, <laughs> but there is an inherent risk, which is why it's called Dare. Right, And the gospel and the presenting of the gospel comes with an inherent risk. I cannot say I am about the gospel and then back off when there's risk. I have seen that all over. People say we're about the gospel. We want to do things for the gospel. But then there's risk. So we don't want to take risks and we back off. We come in harm's way. We don't want to go in harm's way. You see, when you analyze why we don't, we don't have the boldness that Paul did, we have to think about our own culture. And, and today's day and world, whether you come from the eastern part of the universe, or the world, anyways, and or the western part, there's a lot of there's a not, not a lot of difference, to be honest. Cultures are 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 getting so entwined with each other because of social media and globalization that there is not a whole lot of difference in the way an urban person in a city in the eastern part of the world thinks or someone in the western part of of the world. And the two things that our culture loves and has held high as an ideal is safety and comfort. You see, we don't want to take a risk when it affects our safety and our comfort. You see, but we do take a risk with safety and we don't even realize it. When we buy stocks in the market, right? The the broker will tell you that this is high risk, but high dividends. He'll tempt you, right? You'll get a lot, but you gotta risk a lot. Low risk, low, low, and low dividends back. You get it in the car, there's risk. But here, Paul is saying, I take a risk for the gospel. I dare to declare because my boldness, we had boldness in our God. You see, our boldness does not come, our daring does not come from our going to the gym. It does not come from who we know in the government. It does not come with our gritting our teeth and saying, I want to be well for the gospel no matter what. It doesn't come from that. It comes from Living and reigning in our God. It is is the realm in which Paul lived. It is the source. uh, God is the source of the boldness from where Paul was able to say that I rely on the character of God. He had just been shamefully treated and suffered in Philippi. You know, when we suffer for the gospel, that emboldens us to suffer more for the gospel. If we have never suffered for the gospel, we will be reticent to speak for the gospel. And I have seen that in my country over and over again. People who have taken a stand for the Lord and have suffered and continue to suffer They are emboldened to suffer more because they know the sweetness of the relationship of the sovereignty of God in their own life that enables them to stand firm for the sake of the truth. God is sovereign. His character is true. He never changes. But it's it's true in the fact that I trust in the sovereignty of God. I trust in the fact that if I share, if I dare to share, and if I do that, whatever will be the outcome from that, he is able to even be over that. Do I trust it? Paul tells Timothy, I am not ashamed in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because I know the one I believe. I know him. And I am convinced, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep all that I have committed unto him until that day. All that I have entrusted into him. That does not mean that Paul's life is not going to be in danger. He says, even though it's in danger, I know my life, my eternity, my ministry, all of it is in the sovereign hands of God. And I entrust myself because I have confidence in the person that I know. That's why he's able to say we had boldness in our He's our God. He's a covenanted God. He's a God who, is, who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's a God who is constantly watching over you as we sang. He will only allow that in our lives that he knows that we are going to be able to handle. He'll only allow that in our lives which he has already decreed and ordained before the beginning of time. Then why not be bold? You know what the opposite of boldness is? Cowardice, right? There's no in between. The opposite of boldness is, we were not, but bo- we were bold. He's saying in our God, but He's not saying we were coward. We cowered down. We were chicken. No, we are bold. And the ability to be bold is trusting in the sovereignty of God and knowing that that He is able to allow whatever happens according to his purpose for his glory and even the consequences that come, even the consequences. John Patton, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides, before he left, the mission team, the missions committee said, look, John, you go to the Hebrides, the cannibals will eat you up. There's no point. Don't waste your life. Do not do that. We are warning you, if you go there, they will eat you up. What about the gospel then? He says, the way I know my Bible and the way I know the gospel, at the resurrection, if I am not mistaken, the prospects, my prospects at the resurrection And your prospects of the resurrection are just about going to be the same. Whether I die by being eaten by cannibals or you die, your, your body is eaten by worms, the prospects are going to be the same. I am going to be resurrected and so are you going to be resurrected. Then why fear? And he went there and many became believers through his sacrifice. I wonder Why is it hard for us to trust in the sovereignty of God? Why is it that we are not able to put ourselves? It is like a trusting. It is an entrusting. Well, we need to pray. Paul prayed in Ephesians 6 verse 19. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. That I will be emboldened. My being bold does not come from me, but it is from what God can do in my life. He can give me the boldness. So pray. Pray. Ask people to pray that you would be bold. Pray every day when you wake up. See God, give me the boldness to speak today. To find that opportunity and not to lose it and to be able to share the truth. You know, you and I are are those instruments of salt and light and a dark and a crooked generation. It's possible for us to continue to live in our little Christian subculture and not have anything to do with the world. We could go to work, still stay in our little bubble, and never let other people know that we are even Christian or love the Lord. But I challenge you, encourage you, and my desire here is not for you to feel guilty about or go on a guilt trip after this. No, not at all. But by pray by the Holy Spirit that we would be encouraged to live as that light, as that salt, in the dark place, wherever the Lord might give you an opportunity. That you would have boldness. it Does not mean that every minute of the day you're just sharing the gospel. If you do, great. Love, you know, that'll be great. The Lord will love that. And our, our thinking is we need to be gifted somehow in evangelism. You know, let me tell you, I am not gifted in evangelism. Maybe I'm gifted in teaching, maybe preaching, but not evangelism. But that does not give me any excuse. You might wonder, oh, I am not. An extrovert. I'm an introvert. I don't like to talk to people. Well, let me tell you, I am an introvert. But that does not give me any excuse. If we are so stricken by the truth of the character of the sovereignty of God and stricken by the message of the truth of the word of God, then whether you're an extrovert, introvert, gifted, not gifted, you will share the gospel with boldness. And that is what Paul is, is communicating to the Thessalonians. My boldness is in our God, not only in the believing in the sovereignty of God, but it's also knowing that God's message is true. He says... I declare to you the gospel of God, the good news of God. It's God's good news. It's the good news that God has given. It's the good news that God brings to you. And I declare that to you even in the midst of much conflict. Even in the midst of that. You see, the gospel we know as God is holy. And because he's holy, he wants to have a relationship with his creation, particularly man. But man sinned and that relationship broke off. And God still to reconcile himself to man and man to himself, God sent his son to be that substitute sacrifice for humanity once and for all. And Jesus, who is the son of God, perfect in his life, perfect in his obedience to God, died on that cross and he was able to appease the wrath of God once and for all, for all of mankind. He rose again on the third day. And if we believe, we are in relationship with God and God saves us. That is the gospel we know. But let me tell you, there is, that is what we call the objective aspect of the gospel. That is what Christ has done for us. But there is a subjective aspect of the gospel which... Helps me understand what that makes me. My identity in Christ. Now that I am a believer. Now that I love Christ. And he loves me. That means that my life is eternally secure in him. That means that I am a child of God. And nothing and no situation can take that position away from me. It means that yes I might goof up. But the Lord is gracious to me today to forgive me even if I sin. And we also enjoy that forgiveness and are motivated to live a holy and pure life because of that relationship that we have with Him. And that, that in itself is the truth of God that we are able to live by no matter what the situation around us. And that's the truth that, that Paul is, is saying, I our appeal, verse 3, does not spring from error. Our exhortation, our coming alongside our parakaleo, which is the, really the word for the Holy Spirit, does not appear, does not come from error. That means it comes from what? The truth. Brothers and sisters, if we stand on the truth and know that our word is true, then we are willing to stand on on that truth even if it means a risk for our own lives if you think that what we stand on is error that'll not give us boldness but truth gives boldness truth gives the ability and the motivation to take that risk that what i am speaking what i what i am sharing what i'm declaring and proclaiming that is true and if it is true then what have i to fear what have I to fear? It is truth that grasped Paul and he had no shame in sharing what is true. It is true that enveloped Paul that he was driven by that truth. It is true that he stands on and that gives him the ability to say to the Thessalonians, my motives are pure to the Romans. Paul says in chapter 1 of 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do we believe that it is the power of God, the gospel of God? That's the, that's the question. If we do believe that it is the power of God, the gospel of God, not in my presentation necessarily, not in who. Who I portray myself to be, but in the gospel of God, then our dependence will be upon the truth of God, and it is the work of the truth of God that will work in the people's lives. Right? Spurgeon used to say, the the word, the word of God is like a lion. You've got to unleash it, right? And let the word of God do its work in people's lives and in my trip one of the brothers i met i asked him about his testimony how did he become a believer and he said for four years i was given the bible and i was reading my holy grail and i read the whole my holy grail i knew my my stuff but i was reading the bible for the first time and i was reading it i had a mission and my mission was to find fault to find error in the Bible." So I looked at the the life of King Saul and I found error. And I looked at the life of King David and I found error. And I looked at the the life of Saul in the New Testament and I found problems. And I looked at the life of Jesus for four years. I could not find a mistake in his life. I could not find anything that I could put my finger on and say he is false. And after four years, he says, I just submitted myself to the sovereignty and the authority of God and gave my life to Jesus. He's pastoring a church in that state now. You see, there's power in that truth. No one taught him. He just read the Bible with the intention of finding error. But the truth grasped his heart. That is the power we have of the truth. And if we can stand on it, if we can get so enthralled by it, if we can be so excited by that truth, and if we have no doubt upon it, then that will re- result in the declaring of that truth to others. You see, the purpose of our existence is not that we may be the most comfortable. And the most secure in our lives. But the purpose of our existence. That we will live our lives entirely. Entirely to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. So not only are we to have a trust in the sovereignty of God. And the message of God's word which is true. Which will enable us and give us that boldness to take the risk. Whether we are at work, in our jobs, whether we are walking around and going to the grocery store, or whether we are with our families in a family gathering. The third biblical truth that will embolden us, Lord willing, is the fact that we have a responsibility towards God. Paul says here, verse 3, for appeal does not spring from error or impurity or in any attempt to deceive. Really, he is again telling the Thessalonians, my, my motives are pure. When I came to you, I didn't come with impure motives. I didn't want anything. But, was 4, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Period. We could stop there and go home. So we speak. Why we speak? Because we have been approved by God, tested and tried like a metal that is that is heated and banged and found to be true and, and good in the hands of God. But we have been also entrusted, really that, that, that idea of stewardship of the gospel. That we have been entrusted with the gospel that we would manage the gospel in a way that is Pleasing to God in a way that God approves in the, of the way that we manage the gospel, His gospel. So we speak, being compelled to speak. You see, when, when someone entrusts something, it displays the importance of the one who is giving that entrusting ability. He's saying, I trust you with this. I trust you with the key of my house or the key of my car because I trust that you will not you will take care of it and you will not ram into somebody with it. It also displays and predisposes the faithfulness of the one being entrusted. You see God will give us the gospel and say I trust you with this and I entrust you with the gospel even though he knows we are broken vessels but he has still poured out his treasure of the gospel in our, in our cups, as broken vessels as, as we are. Because he trusts us and he will take an account of that. He will. Because he has given us that, that trust. And he says, I am my motivation. My motives are that I have been approved by God, not by you, not by, by other apostles in Jerusalem, but I've been approved by God and entrusted with that gospel, the same good news. so we speak. That means our motivation, our driving force, our energy is from the fact that God has given us this trust and we as stewards of the gospel. And that's why we speak. A few months ago, I was with a friend. We had gone on a trip. And on the way back, I, I found this friend stopping. Whenever we stopped and to do something, to buy gas or something, he would always share the gospel with the person. And it became a lot. And, and I asked that friend, I was like, why are you sharing the gospel everywhere we go? And he looked at me and said, Dinesh, you tell me. How can I not? When I know the truth and I know that that that's the only way and the power of God to salvation, how can I not share the truth with those who don't know and don't have the truth? You tell me. I was speechless. Challenged. Convinced of the truth. And here Paul is saying, so we speak entrusted with the gospel approved by God not to please man. You see you can have good motives for the gospel for preaching it but you can also have impure motives for preaching the gospel not to please man not to not to for for man to say good and faithful servant great we want god to say that we want god to say that what is our motives you see what you do or why you do what you do is more important than what you do Why we share the gospel, why we do, what's the motive. And as we disciple our children, as we teach them, that is something we want to continue to to put in their hearts. That we, that you, child, why you do what you do, whether it's good, bad, what is the reason? What is the heart motive behind our actions? That is important for us. Even in the sharing of the gospel and Paul is saying here that my motives are, are true and my motives are good. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and following, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, which he could have. He is in Greece, and he is, and, and that is what people loved. And that would be the, what we would call in, in missiological circles, contextualizing the gospel. You would be doing that. But he says, no, what did I do? I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ crucified. Very countercultural. Nonetheless, that is the truth. My speech and my message, verse 4, were not in plausible words of wisdom that you would understand and you would say, wow, that is great. But he said, so that I did this and I purposely didn't do that, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God power of god so brothers and sisters as we share the gospel we need to continue to check our motives what what is the reason we're doing it maybe we are we have the right motives and we really desire that that person might share the truth might might know the truth and might come to to be a a worthy person before the lord that the lord may have mercy upon him or her You see, we do not want to offend them, but we don't want to take away the offense of the gospel either. Because the gospel has its offense. People don't naturally, it's not natural for someone to just accept it. The way we think about it today, because our eyes have been opened. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the prince of the power of the air has so blinded the eyes of the people that they cannot see. The light of the riches of Christ, as we do. Right. Second Timothy chapter four verse two, a very familiar passage, and Paul tells Timothy at the end of his life. He says, "Timothy, preach the word." Then he says in verse three, "For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching." You are here today and I'm here after a few, three years. uh, And you have come here because you like, you love the word of God and you like sound teaching. He's saying there's a time when people not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, you and I may not be Timothy. Perhaps you're thinking, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. Why should I be doing what, what Paul is saying that he did? The Lord, didn't he say, I will be with you until the end of the age. And just before he said that, he said what? Go and make disciples. Right? Of all nations. The nations, you don't have to cross seven seas to get to a nation. You can get a nation right here. We are all called to that, aren't we? And as we are, we can stand on the sovereignty of God. We can stand on the truth of God, and that will embolden us, even though some people will say we we will be we will unfriend you. So be it. We will cancel you. So be it for the glory of God. And that's what Paul says. You know, I didn't come to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. It's an accountability to God, a stewardship, but also an accountability. God is witness. Verse 5, he again says, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory, no flattery, no greed, no glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. We were entitled for that. But even though we were entitled, we did not make use of our entitlement. Now that is standing on the truth. That is accountability to God. That is stewardship and a responsibility towards what God has given him. You know, when Paul came to Thessalonica. He, he saw how the Thessalonians a- reacted to the gospel. Verse 13 of chapter 2, he says in the B part, he says, you accepted it, the word of God that is, as the, not as the word of man But as what it really is, the word of God, which is work, which is at work in you believers. You accepted it as the truth coming from God, not from me, as you know, as you know. Paul says in later the latter part of chapter 2, in verse 7 onwards, he says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. We came like a father among you. We did not want to take advantage of you, but we came because we loved you. Not only that, he says, we were ready to share, verse 8, with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. You see, it is in the context of love, and that's love that motivates us, To take those risks because we love them, and that the truth is that they don't know the truth. You know, people might hate you, they might hurt you, they might hurt your pride, they might think you're wacko. But the question is are you, are we able to take that insult for the glory of God? You see, risk is risky. Right. But we need to be able to calculate the gospel benefit risk ratio. Right. Is this risk going to benefit the gospel and is that risk going to advance the kingdom and give glory to God? Then it has benefit. You see, you can't take risk just for his sake. Can't say, okay, I'm just going to take risk for the gospel and go ahead and take the risk. That would not be wise. But you got to calculate the gospel benefit risk ratio. And as you calculate the gospel benefit risk ratio, you entrust yourself in the hands of God and say, Lord, I have done what you asked me to. Now you take control. Risk makes sense to our children when we teach them about it right from the beginning. That life is not all security. Life is not all comfort. Life is not about me. You see, when we start to think that the gospel is just for me, we are not being obedient to what God has called us to. When God chose Abraham, he said, I will make your name great and I will make you a blessing. Those who bless you, they will be blessed. And those who curse you, they will be cursed. And our blessing that we have received is to be a blessing for others too. And we are those channels. And as we take those, those responsibility to God and the blessing that God has given us and give it out to those who need that blessing, the Lord will continue to bless us. You, know, you see, it's that continual channel through which God blesses us. We are to be that, that channel, that conduit, if you will, to advance the gospel despite risk. So, Brothers, sisters, we have a choice. A choice today, a choice every day, a choice till we stand before the Lord one day that we can stay and continue to be in our convenient, comfortable Christian lives as we cling to our own safety of our own little worlds. Or we have a choice and we can decide that Jesus is worth more than this. That Jesus is worth more than this. We can recognize that he has created us and saved us and called us for a much greater purpose than anything this world could ever offer. It was C.D. Studd, a missionary to China, India, Africa. He said, he was a cricketer who, who was called to, to go on the mission field. And, he, and you know this. He said, only one life, twill will soon be passed, Only what's done for Christ, complete it, will last. And the more, the older I grow, the more this truth becomes real. Only what's done for Christ will last. That means nothing else apart from what's done for Christ will last. Many years ago, we were in a Mission Hospital in in a rural part of our country. For five years, we worked there hard, built it up, did a lot of work night and day, night and day for five years, built a lot of buildings, built the hospital up. It was just a lot of money, energy, time poured into it. The the Lord then, after five years, called me to seminary and we left. Two weeks later, I was in seminary. I get a phone call. And it says, uh, the hospital is submerged underwater. There was a flood, a major flood in that part. And, and I said, what, What's happening? He says, The entire hospital is submerged. Everything is lost. Everything is underwater. We are going by boat. From your house, we are on a boat. And a few months went by. It took about 10 months for the entire thing to, to come about, and they realized everything was just destroyed. And that was a time of reckoning for me. And I realized all that hard work that we had done, all the buildings, all the stuff that we had done, all of that was just washed overnight. It was one night that destroyed everything. But what was left? What was left for those, those few believers that that had become believers during our time there. The few people who had come to know Christ in our time there, the flood could not do anything to them. They stayed faithful and still do, some of them. So that I realized only what's done for Christ in this world will last. I just want to close with the first Heidelberg Catechism, which says, in a part of it, It says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I am not my own. Let us pray. Father, we are not our own our life has been given to us by you and help us never to take it for granted our very breath that we breathe is a gift from you your word says and lord in our number our days are numbered right from before it ever began whether we take the risk or we don't help us lord that we may enjoy the boldness. And because of your so, the sovereignty which with you reign this world. Help us to be able to be bold because of the truth on which we stand. That is your truth. And nothing but the truth may we be stand, able to stand. Help us Lord to, to give an account one day. When there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation. From the depths of the sea. From the tops of the mountains. From the farthest ends of the earth as we gather. Oh Lord, as we sang. May we be able to give you an account. Because of the gospel that you've entrusted by. And so we speak. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, thank you, Dinesh. have been challenged. I pray we've been properly challenged. And uh, as we close with this song, Facing a Task Unfinished, the question is, are you going to be one of those used by God? Do you trust in his sovereignty, trust in this word and the responsibility he's given us? Let's stand together and sing this as our closing.